We keep the good times rolling here on the Sports Cubicle. I'm Mike Mercado. It's Paul Shabari and Devin Tingle. We appreciate you making us a part of your day. In case you've missed any one of the great interviews we've been doing recently, thanks to Paul Shabari, if you missed the real-life inspiration to Jerry Maguire. That's right, Lee Steinberg joined the show. If you've missed... Former Raider Steve Wright, a dream come true for Paul Javari. Make sure you're checking us out on YouTube at the Sports Cubicle or wherever you get your favorite podcast at Sports from the Couch. And of course, we are on WCPT 820 AM and now simulcasting Sunday nights on WSBC 1240 AM. And Paul, the holiday season has come early because you delivered a treat for us radio nerds, for us Chicago nerds, for anybody who has a pair of ears. Paul, what do you have for us today on the Sports Cubicle? Today, our guest is George Offman, a Chicago sportscaster. He's worked for WBBM News Radio. He's worked for 670 to score. He's been with NPR. And he wrote a book called Tell Me a Story I Don't Know Conversations with Chicago Sports Legends. George, thanks for joining the show today. Appreciate it. And I do remember 820 because that's where the score began almost 32 years ago. Yep, yep. We are now on the airwaves that. You were one of the pioneers with, uh, you were there from the beginning, if, if I'm correct, right? Right. I, I mean, the pioneer really was Mike North. He's he's the guy who actually uh, twisted Dan Lee's, late Dan Lee's arm, who owned WXRT, to actually not turn it into a jazz station, but turn it into an all-sports station, which really pissed off the people at XRT until they met Mike and they fell in love with him. And 32 years later, here we are. When you say that uh, pissed off WXRT, that's because you guys shared a building together, right? Well, no, no. I think they were pissed off because they wanted the jazz station. They 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 didn't like the idea of having an all sports station. You know, it's just, these are music people. But it was a tiny building, and suddenly, here are all these wonderful disc jockeys, and here marches in a massive amount of testosterone, and I do mean a massive amount of it, and egos and what have you. But it worked. And we, you know, I love those people there. You know, Terry Heverett and Frankie Lee and the entire Johnny Mars. It was wonderful to, to be there, as cramped as it was. And let me tell you something. It's amazing that two radio stations actually fit into the building. Uh, but no, that was a, it was a wonderful experience. You know, I wonder, as you see so many companies nowadays right like all multimedia trying to find for all these different avenues of fans and everybody's saying well radio's dying or music is dying and it just seems like it's just fans are finding what they like and finding the outlets to it were you surprised from where we were 30 years ago to now that there was enough room for a top tier jazz station and rock station and spanish music station and then all night sports was it is it crazy all these years later that the formula worked just fine well, it did, but now what you're seeing is, you know, internet, uh, podcasts, YouTube, technology has taken us into a different direction. It's, listen, I, I did radio for over 46 years. Did I ever think I was going to do a podcast? I never listened to podcasts, and suddenly I'm having to learn to, to decide after WBBM let me go in July of 2020, what is a podcast? And gosh almighty, all the people that I talked to to try to formulate the whole thing using my radio background as a um, as a building block. Did I ever think I was going to be an author? Maybe an Arthur, but not an author. And here I am. So you don't know where things are going to take you. But radio, radio is having its own issues. I think you're going to see the elimination of AM radio eventually. 
Um, but it's still Wait, don't tell us that. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's you're you're right though. That is that is a frequent talk. Uh, how AM radio it's, it's going to be by the wayside. Gonna, it's going to be eliminated from cars. Thank goodness I just bought a new car and it's still there. And yes, it's important, but that's just the nature of that business. It's the nature of the newspaper business. It's you know, it's that's the progression of life. What can I tell you? Do you get nervous? I mean, were you ever one of these one of these people who got nervous with change, or were you always somebody who was able to go headfirst into the deep end of what the next technology was, going from vinyl to cassette to tape to CD to MP3 to you? Like, are you willing to kind of go with that evolution? I think you have to if you want to survive, and I still do. I mean, I'm not obviously York considerably younger than I am as opposed to me being considerably older than you are because I look at it the opposite way <laughs> but if you don't conform see you later so you have to conform as best you can if there's something I don't understand and believe me there were elements I couldn't I've got people tech technical technical people who help me out with it and teach me and you know let me understand oh okay I gotta do this I gotta do this I gotta do this and you learn and you've got to learn where you guys, it's automatic. It's there. That's that's what you have now. You don't have to deal with cassettes. I still have a a horde of cassettes, okay, that I want to, you know, digitize, but I don't have the time. And it's all my history. It's radio stuff that goes back well over 50 years. So, yes, I mean, it's like if you don't want to conform, then you're stuck in the mud. I, I want to say bring this up to George because you brought up the cassette. Right now I have in my control room a mini disc player, a tape player, and we used to have the reel to reel. So um I have to learn the reel old to reel. What the hell are you doing with a reel to reel? We used to have a big old one that now I can see the opening for right here on our little uh uh oh, station God. right here. But Polly, now that I've shown what A20 still has around these buildings, what do you got? Polly. Well, while we're on the, the subject of adapting with the times, uh, George, you were also with sports phone, right? The back when people, they couldn't look up sports scores on their phone, but they had to call you guys. Yeah. Look, at, look at this, boys. What, what was it that? like working there? How did you get your information while you worked there? Well, first of all, I, that was my first professional job in Chicago. When I left school in the May of 1977, you know, I dicked around with a few things and then suddenly... Here's Sports Phone, which began in New York the year before. And um, so I started my first day was, believe it or not, Christmas Eve during the day. And I was taken through the ropes by Fred Hubner. That office included Fred Hubner, Ron Gleason, the late Les Grobstein, uh, Pat Benkowski. But think of all the people that progressed from there. In New York, I was dealing with Gary Cohen, whom I became friends with. And Gary's, you know, I used to visit Gary in New York and in his first job in Hanover, New Hampshire. And his goal in life was to be the voice of the New York Mets. How did that work out? <laughs> there you go. And then John Martin, who was for many years the executive producer of ESPN Radio. Here, it's going to take me a while to figure out the list. David Schuster, Jeff Joniak, Luke Canellis, the late Dave Wills. Oh, I'm missing a whole bunch of people that started at Sports Phone and their careers jumped from there. I don't know where I would have been without it. So what were we doing? It was all for gamblers. You had a telephone. Do you guys know what a telephone is? Yeah. <laughs> no, you have to ask, you have to yeah, ask the no. question. Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yep. no, no. Show me that, would you please? 
You know, it's a little uh, wired cord or cord phone here. You know? That's close enough. <laughs> <laughs> so they had these. We were in a studio every 10 minutes giving scores. We had exactly 60 seconds. You punched it in. There it was. Um, and so mostly that was for gamblers. But we also uh, covered games. We had uh, contests with the same people winning the contest all the time. And those people are still on Facebook and Twitter. And I still hear from them. And this is how many years later now? <laughs> so um, it was a stepping stone for me. And then one day, uh, somebody there, Tom Green's his name, said, you know, you can sell your stuff, your tape on radio and your voice. I said, I didn't know that's just freelancing. So off I went. I started doing it. And I made it my profession. It was my business for 13 years. I was an independent freelancer working for all of those places like National Public Radio, the BBC in Canada, excuse me, the BBC in London, the CBC in Canada. And back then there were a whole bunch of radio networks from ABC, NBC, CBS. And this is where I gained all these relationships with Sam Rosen, the longtime voice of the Rangers, was the sports director at UPI. Uh, at RKO Radio Network, Charlie Steiner, the voice of the Dodgers, and at UPI, and then at RKO, a young fellow named Keith Olbermann. All of these people were part of how I got these relationships, which wound up in the podcast, which some of them wound up in the book. But that again, that's part of uh, being independent, being on your own, thinking in a different way. And for 13 years, I did it for 20, but for 13 years, that was my sole income, such that I was making double what the radio guys were making. It's like, hey, fellas, guess what I'm doing? I'm independent in my 20s and early 30s. And as Harry Carey said, I'm out chasing pretty girls until I met a pretty girl and married her. But that's what I was doing and loved every minute of it. So, And then the score came. Uh, but right before that, I turned out a job in Canada, in Toronto, to be a talk show host of all places. Um, and it was a tough turndown because they offered me a, a nice package and it's a beautiful city. But I was gambling that the score would hire me and did on my birthday, which was December 28th, five days before we started. And I was uh, hired along with some guy named Mike Greenberg. Uh, who, by the way, wrote the foreword to the book. So it's very interesting. All of the, all, everything that you go through, through life, there's a lot of connections. Uh, another person in the book, by the way, Bob Costas, I first met him. I actually first met him in school in 1975. There was a, was a double header. I forget where it's in St. Louis and SIU was playing whatever. And so the late coach Paul Lambert was with me and we were introduced to Jack Buck and his then protege, Bob Costas. Five years later, Bob is working for, by the way, Bob did 19 Bulls road games for people who don't know that. He was working for Channel 9. Um, then Bob was with the Sporting News Radio Network, used me as a freelance. And from there, we struck up a relationship because Bob came here quite a bit. So, you know, all of that got me to do the podcast. I'm I'm going from 46 years ago to you know to when I started the podcast and kind of putting the connections together. That's rather long-winded, wasn't it? Uh, well, <laughs> that was a great George, answer, George. You for everybody listening to us here on the Sports Cubicle, it's Paul Shabari, Devin Tingo, I'm Mike Mercado, and the legend himself, George Hoffman, joining us. This is like the equivalent of like I don't know Gandalf, uh, Dumbledore, Yoda joining us and just giving Yoda! us. 
is giving us all the goods that we've ever wanted. I, we are learning from the master Jedi himself. And it, this is an amazing experience that we were having here. And everybody listening to the sports cubicle is enjoying these stories. Devin, what do you got for the legend himself? I gave us a lot to digest there, Dory. Uh, gave us a lot to digest. Gave us a lot there, George. I'm getting a little starstruck. Bear with me here. But oh, digest is not that easy to say. <laughs> <laughs> but as someone who has, you know, gone from radio, TV, and now doing podcasts, basically my question is, is it worth it for anyone who wants to be a sports guy or sports commentator to even try doing TV or radio? Or are they better off going to Best Buy, buying that microphone and camera and just doing it from their basement? It, honestly, it's a different world today. I mean, people are still getting hired to do television. Radio sports, for what I did in particular, is pretty much almost gone. I am one of the dinosaurs in the business. Matter of fact, I likely am the dinosaur in the business, the oldest guy that was there. And, and WBBM has basically eliminated positions. When I was let go, they didn't replace me. And when uh, they lost the Bears and Jeff Joniak, who was doing afternoon drive they didn't replace him either and then when dave kerner retired they didn't replace him either so now they're down to two people um the score was eliminating that idea back in 2009 when i joined mike north in the ill-fated webio uh, which lasted the grand total of nine weeks so you're talking about that's 2009 in march or april it's almost 15 years ago so already networks and local stations were considering why do we want to do sportscasts when we have this okay that that's that's hurt our industry but i would never say to somebody don't try but again the idea of podcasting is a very very tough because to make it you want to monetize it and that's also difficult to do but you'll find a path if you if you really want to do it in this day and age, you'll find a path if you really want it. George, you wrote the book, and I'm wondering because Paul and I have this conversation all the time. Paul and I went to media school together. We uh, were GAs together. We got in jobs together, and we talk about it all the time of the longevity, what the destination, the journey, the story that's being told within our career as storytellers, as people who bring other people into our world and expose them to these things. When you wrote the book, when you were writing it, as you were getting everything together, did you feel it was completed as somebody who's constantly trying to do new things? Or was it kind of scary for you to kind of put that last period on the last paragraph in that last chapter because there is still much more story you want to be told? How was that emotionally for you? Well, it's emotional now in the standpoint that the podcast is ending. Um, the book was just an extension. That was an idea that came up almost two years ago. I was probably halfway through where I'm at now. And my nephew, Sam, was working at Triumph. And I said, what do you think? He said, bounce the idea off the guys. And so I did. And they bought it. I think part of which was that some of them knew who I was from radio. That helped a great deal. Plus, the idea of doing a book about your podcast, I don't think you see many of those. But the idea was, here are here's a compilation of 50 interviews with well-known people nationally and locally, all of whom have ties to the city of Chicago. Was I nervous? No, no. Matter of fact, 
I, I'm hoping that we sell enough books so that I can do part two. There's still another 45 plus interviews that I haven't done. I'm sad now, melancholy, knowing that i am got just a little few more edits to go and the podcast ends. It's an opus for me. You know, it's it's one of the great highlights of my career. You know, you think here's a highlight that happened 40 years ago and 30 years ago. Actually, 1977, when I left school and Mike Reese, whom I hired for my staff at the I was the sports director of the television and radio station there. Um, he not only succeeded, he stayed there for 45 years. He just retired. He was the voice of SIU sports. Well, he calls me up in late, well, it was, might have been early June. SIU's baseball team made the College World Series. You know, I was the voice of the Saluki baseball team. And he was then the primary guy, invited me to join him in the booth. And so for eight days, I was in Omaha, Nebraska. That is a highlight that happened way back. Here we are, <clears throat> what is this now? 47 years later, here's another highlight, my podcast. And I loved it. And another highlight my book. I loved it. I love it. It's just, um, it's, it's, it's been a honor, a pleasure and a highlight to do all of it. You know, what happens next? I know I'll come over to your house and have dinner. I have no idea. You're Open always welcome. Oh, by <laughs> Polly, go ahead. What you got for us, Polly? So George, with all of these people that you've talked to, all of the, the local personalities, the athletes, was there somebody over the years that you finally got to talk to that was maybe like um, someone early in your career you never thought you'd get the chance or maybe someone from your childhood that you looked up to? Yep. The answer to that is Brent Musburger, who is the last basically live guest that we have. And his part two is running now. Uh, yeah, I wanted to have him a long time ago, three years ago, but I did interview him in college. In 1975, I did a turn paper, and he gave me 30 minutes. And I remember talking to other people. He did the same thing for other people. He's very generous with his time as he is now. So we finally got together to do this. And I'm thinking, you know, maybe at the 20-minute mark, I'll ask him, you know, how are we doing? Well, it was at the 50-minute mark that he said, all right, it's going to be time to wrap this up, lad. It's very nice to have Brent Musburger call you a lad. He's 84 now. The stories he told are in minute description. He's incredible. So I'm 14 years old, and WBBM News Radio begins, and that's where Brent Musburger began his uh, broadcast career, which is something he never considered in college. He was a writer for the <clears throat> long-defunct Chicago American. Okay, I'm listening to him on radio, but when he went to WBBM TV and I saw him on TV, I was mesmerized. He was, his, the pace, his voice, everything. I said, I want to be you. I want to be you. Okay. I wasn't him because as most people know, I have a great face for radio. But in the end, uh, he was one of the inspirations for my career, along with Jack Brickhouse, who was the longtime voice of the Cubs. And people don't realize the White Sox and the Bears and the Sting, the, you know, the, the then uh, uh, soccer team. But Musburger was like the piece de resistance. He was the guy that I really wanted. And he gave me a fabulous 57 minute interview in which we cut up to two parts. But what's most amazing is there is a guy whose career continues. 
and he's 84. And I think of people like Hubie Brown, who is an analyst for ESPN's NBA. He's 90, 90, and he's great. That doesn't mean I will be working until 90. I'm hoping to get up tomorrow morning, you know, but that's, he's the one guy. He's the one guy that I really wanted. And, you know, here we are near the end and we got him. George, how do you feel about interviews, conversations with schmucks like us, the next generation of whatever the podcasters are, the radio? I love doing this. Are you kidding? I love doing this, especially with guys like you Um, and particularly schmucks like you. No, I just (laughs) uh, it's you're part of the next generation. That's really important. What that's going to look like because it's changed dramatically. It really has changed really dramatically. Uh, and to the point where if it was my business now, that'd be great to say, hey, you know, you want to try. No, no, mine's done. That's that's in the past. But it's great to talk to guys like you because you're trying to succeed. You want to succeed. I can tell you guys want to succeed. And, you know, I, I won't give you the advice that the news director <laughs> this is in college. Uh, his name was Ed Brown. And his, this is his advice. This is a guy who chain smoked unfiltered cigarettes. He said, get out of the business. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if this is okay for this. Uh, you know, basically he said, go fuck yourself. What do you think we're doing here? You know, we're trying to get in the business, not get out of the business. Jeez. You know, what does and- that sound like, guys? Yeah, we, right, might, yeah. we, we might know a few people like that still in yeah. the industry. Really? It's like, <laughs> this is, don't discourage, encourage, encourage. Don't tell people, no, go be a bricklayer. And if this is what you want to do, follow your dream. Look, there are three, three of the most important words that I can impart on anybody is follow your dreams. Okay, follow your dreams. It may not work, but if you don't, You'll never know. So follow your dreams. All right. Before we let George go, uh, Polly, I'm going to throw it to you in one second. But we, we, you know, we were talking about following your dreams. What seems to be a nightmare, Chicago sports. Uh, I, as a Cup fan, has not enjoyed anything until maybe Shohei shows up since 2016. So I'm okay with that. But ever other than that, it's been a little mucky. George, I, we need to know. We need to know. How do you feel about what's going on on the field, on the court, on the rink, everything in Chicago sports right now? Uh, people have asked me if this was the worst year. It's not. The worst year was one of my first in 1980. Stunningly, the Blackhawks, I think, won their division. The other four teams were horrible. The Cubs were terrible. The Sox were terrible. The Bears were terrible. And the Bulls were bad. I mean, really bad. Back in, was it, 81, uh, Schuster and I used to go to, when you covered the games, we would count how many people were in the Chicago stadium. We actually did that. We'd go around and we'd start looking in the upper deck or whatever. And usually it was like a 1,000. That's it. And then Jordan came and everything changed. Right now, it's not good. Um, look, the Cubs are certainly active for Shoei Otani. They will pay the toe. It's just whether he wants to come here or stay on the West Coast, because he think he lives in the Seattle area, which is very interesting because the Mariners are not going after him. I found that stunning. You know, it's, it's going to be a lot of money, but they have holes to fill. For a team that should have made the playoffs last year but faded uh, because their best hitters stopped hitting. 
Boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> doesn't it from the after 2017, all those guys? That wasn't Joe Madden. Those guys just stopped hitting, which is amazing. So they've got holes to fill. They know that. I think they didn't spend $40 million on Craig Council to give him nothing. Oh, the cupboard's not there. The White Sox are a disaster. They are an absolute disaster from everything, including public relations. And, of course, the, the worst happened recently with the departure of Jason Benetti. But, I mean, you know, from the, the magic bullets that appeared at the ballpark this summer, nobody still knows where it came from, to the disaster of the franchise when they decided, when Jerry Reisler decided, you know, I let Hawk Harrelson, let Tony Larusa go. I'm going to bring them back. Well, you know, they made the playoffs, but I think we know where that went. And finally, they fired Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams, which was a long time coming. Why they hired Chris Getz is another matter, but he, he doesn't have much to work with. There's no pitching. They're going to trade Dylan Cease which means in a fairly weak division, they will finish last and behind the Kansas City Royals. The Bulls were a mistake from the beginning in that Arturus Karnishevis, okay, he spent two draft choices on getting Vucevic. That was a gamble. But the one I didn't like was Lonzo Ball. Why? A couple of reasons. One, it would be his third team in five years. He had been injured before. He's a point guard who is averaging 5.3 assists a game. That's not a top notch. Okay. But he learned how to be a three-point shooter. He was dynamic and they were winning. Then he got injured and that's it. His career is over. The worst part of all of it is after last season, when they missed the playoffs, Karnishevis stood pat. Their first round pick, Patrick Williams, is a bust. There's just no other way around it. That's a team that's going to have to be literally blown up. And I think they understand that. Uh, the Bears. I, <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed even, reading your tweets on Monday night, by the way. Wasn't even yeah, a game. More teams ago. Well, it, it, it's, it, it, this all revolves around one person, and that's Justin Fields. I think we all know that. And part of what happened the other night was, A, a game plan. Okay, I get it. But the game plan should be letting Justin Fields loose. So how many times can you throw a screen pass before the opposition goes, <laughs> they're throwing another screen pass? I mean, come on, give me a break. Seriously. Uh, I, he still has five games to go, right? Or whatever. The question is, will they draft a quarterback with what appears to be the first pick unless Carolina decides to stub its toe and win a game? Or will they trade that pick, keep Fields another year, and start building around, which is what they really need to do in the trenches? Eberflus, for his many negatives, has put together a damn good defense. That defense is playing really well. That's good. That's really, really good. Uh, Poles has made some significant mistakes, but right away when they went for uh, sweat, uh, people said too much, too much money. I said, watch him. He's a pretty good player. <clears throat> I mean, he's starting out to be a pretty good player. Okay. That's the Bears, the Blackhawks. I I'm glad that finally somebody came out to explain what's going on. Albeit it should not have been Kyle Davidson. 
It should have been either Danny Wirtz or Jamie Faulkner. I mean, the light, they let him hang out to dry. And those of you who saw that yesterday, that was a very emotional situation with a general manager who was very uncomfortable talking about it, especially with the lurid rumor, which just seemed to be so preposterous in the first place. But he had to come out and clear that part of the situation. What involved Perry and somebody in the organization isn't as important now as they step forward. They obviously lost some key players here because Connor Bedard is a dynamite player. Uh, lately is not getting a lot of points. He will. I thought he would score 50 goals this year. I don't know if that's going to be possible now. But they're still rebuilding, and they're probably going to get a really high draft pick. They're also probably in the mode of maybe eventually spending some money, but we'll see how that goes. In the meantime, Patrick Kane is in Detroit. How about that, boys? <laughs> George, we could let you cook all day, my friend. You were you were Gordon Ramsay just now, and we were just waiting for that fire meal to be made. Those takes you got. Polly. Last question for you, George. Through all the years, what was your favorite Chicago sports memory? Whether you covered it or whether it was something before your career, what sticks out to you? Probably June of 2010. So I, in, in when Webio ended in uh, June of 2009, and I went to Dave Ennett at WGN. I said, look, do you have any work for me? And he said, no. He called me back a month later. He said, you know, we have some part-time stuff. Can you come in? I said, I, I do, but I, I've got a problem with my throat. They're saying it's laryngitis. It wasn't. It was a paralyzed vocal cord. And during the summer, I couldn't speak. I, I was like whispering. And I had to go to the Bastion Voice Institute in Lombard, where they were giving all these exercises to do. And finally, I said, there's an option. You can shoot a gel in your throat. You get 80% of your voice back. I did. And a week later, I'm on WGN Radio. Great. Fast forward to game six in Philadelphia. The night before, then Dan Zampillo, who used to work at the score and was the uh, uh, he was the program director. I forgot what his title was. Said, George, would you like to go cover game six in Philadelphia? I said, let me think about it. Yes. <laughs> and suddenly I'm on a plane and I am in Philadelphia. I'm part of the broadcast team and I'm covering game six and now getting to near the end of the game. And they have uh, members of the media and broadcast people in the lobby near the locker rooms. So if your team wins, you're on the bench. Well, suddenly Patrick Kane scores. 30 seconds later, I'm on the bench. And I'm watching the ceremony and I'm watching a Stanley Cup go right by me. It was extraordinary. What an extraordinary experience to be part of where you never thought you would be. But fate had it. So as a highlight, and there have been many of them, that one stands out because I'm there. I'm on the ice and I'm there's a Stanley Cup next to me for crying out loud. That was just like unbelievable. This was one of the most amazing treats. I think I'm going to say personally, I hope the fans enjoyed it. I know they're going to because, you know, legend is with us. But I, I think I speak for Paul, for Devin. This has been one of the coolest conversations, interviews we've ever done. Uh, George Hoffman is one of the legit legends that we have in this industry and for him to join a bunch of dum-dums like us here on the sports <laughs> Paul. I'm not even America. a legend in my own house. Come on, give me a break. Uh, well, that's the trick <laughs> to a good marriage, right? It's like just uh, the keeping us home right, a, a little bit. 
I'm, I'm alone. I'm talking to the wall. Am I a legend? They're not, call, they're not talking back. So, Polly, you want to bring us home, buddy? Uh, yeah, we got to sell a book here. Uh, Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. Conversations with Chicago Sports Legends is out now. You can find it anywhere that you buy books. Uh, George Offen, congratulations on releasing the book. We hope to hear more from you. I uh, can't wait for part two. Thank you so much for, for joining us today. My pleasure, guys, and good luck to all of you.